Hey guys, um, we are back with another episode. It's been a long time. Um, maybe one t- one episode I'll be able to uh, do an intro where I don't say, it's been a while, my apologies, but so far, <laughs> uh, that hasn't happened in a while, but uh, yeah, um, you know, I've... I've I've haven't recorded <laughs> a podcast in a while. I've got a few that I've recorded, um, and I don't know. I've just got, gotten real busy. Um, haven't really had the energy um, or the drive to do these, so I kind of laid off um, for a while. And um, I don't know uh, if you're listening to this. This is uh, we are. June 30th of 2020 so uh right smack dab in the middle of covid and um yeah it's been it's been quite a ride this year and um you know I just I've recently had some conversations with people <clears throat> and uh, about the podcast and I've had some people say how some of these episodes have helped them uh I've heard you know third hand stories of people who you know used some of these episodes to get through hard times um and uh and I thought man I should really be doing these again um it's a it's a real um I don't know if I, I I guess I would say now that this has become a thing that I guess it's become also a responsibility um I think in the beginning um it was it was just like a passion for recovery and um, the love of these conversations, and w- thinking that the uh, that somebody should record conversations like this um, and put them out there. And uh, apparently, uh, they've helped people, so um, we'll keep doing them. Um, and you know, I've put my foot in my mouth and said I was going to be more diligent about this many, many times. Um, and I guess I'll run the risk of putting my foot in my mouth again and say that hopefully I will be able to uh, stay on top of it and, you know, at least put together a string of podcasts. And even if it means I take a break for a while and just, you know, do these whenever uh, I'm able to or have the energy to. And I'm feeling a little energetic as of late. Um, You know, uh, these things are also very cathartic for me. And they, you know, especially in these times where there's not a lot of, um, in-person meetings or really in-person interactions that much. And, uh, you know, I really am missing my, uh, 12 step, uh, recovery community. Um, so, uh, today we're going to release, um, an episode that we recorded a long time ago and, um, it's Kate um are and uh yeah i remember enjoying this one i can't tell you i've got the the worst memory and um i don't know exactly what we talked about obviously we talked about her story um but i do remember thoroughly enjoying having the conversation with her and uh i'm confident that you guys will enjoy this episode so um uh, right before that, I'll do the disclaimer. So, you know, she is a woman who recovered uh, and uh, 
the opinions spoken here by her or I do not reflect the uh, opinions of any 12-step program or uh, with our chosen path to recovery. Um, we're just both sober, excited about sobriety, um, and want to share our story so that hopefully uh, they will reach somebody and can help. So without further ado, I give you Kate. All right, there we are. What's up, Kate? Hello. <laughs> Am I close enough? Um, I think so. Cool. You're good. Um, so how you doing? I'm great on this Tuesday night, surrounded by bikes. Yeah. Guatemalan purses. This is awesome. Yeah, I mean, we have that in common. We both own Guatemalan purses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you own a purse from Guatemala? So I don't think I have one from Guatemala right now. I have a couple of things from Costa Rica. I went there on my honeymoon mm-hmm. and uh, just got drenched in a rain pour and just went into like one of the little tiendas and bought like half this. St- I'm just like, give me whatever you have. Uh-huh. I need to be dry. Wow. So I have a lot of Costa Rican stuff right now. Yeah. We, so I was thinking we have like, um, we have a few things in common. I think, uh, we're both probably the smallest person that our friends know. <laughs> like, <laughs> probably. <laughs> uh, we both have a connection to Guatemala, mm-hmm. right? And um, and we we were we were planning on hooking our mothers up. Oh, I forgot about that. We still have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Mom date. Yeah, because we both have. Uh, I think our our fathers passed away yeah. close like close together. Yeah, dead dad club. Yeah, twenty sixteen. 2016 yeah yeah horrible but definitely (laughs) but it's always good you know to find people that also had that shared connection while i'm like sorry that happened it's always good to find someone to talk about it with yeah yeah totally uh i always find it i don't know interesting to have that conversation it's uh anyways but uh we're not here to talk about that (laughs) they hey your dad's dead oh mine too (laughs) what's up yeah yeah no I mean, and you know, it's funny though, like things like that. Um, I think like the experiences that we've had beyond that, uh, allow us to kind of talk, talk about it with a little bit of levity and a little bit of like, like without so much like heaviness that it might sound weird. Like we're just talking about, oh yeah, dead dad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, if you don't keep your sense of humor through everything, then like, what are you, what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. So there's definitely times to grieve and I've been grieving and laughing at the same time. Yeah. Sometimes I just laugh. Yeah. And I think it's also like a, a quality of just being honest with yourself. Like, I feel like there's a lot of like, like in the past I would have like felt like, oh, I'm supposed to feel a certain way right now. So let me put on. Yeah. You know, oh, we're talking about this. Let me put the right face for it. And sometimes it's not that. Yeah. I went to a lot of therapy when I was newly sober for about five years Mm. and being okay with what my feelings were and identifying them was a huge, huge piece of that. Yeah. There was a lot of me thinking there was a certain way. Oh, Oh, hey, alarm. That's the... uh the second meditation? Yeah. We got weird. I cannot do the- a second meditation. <laughs> we got, it got a little awkward because I, I suggested we meditate <laughs> before the thing. Yeah. Andy suggested we meditate. I shot him down and then I felt guilty. So we meditated for three minutes. Yeah. And now we're, uh, you know, and, spiritual giants. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's, it just helps, I think, to get centered for me. I have like a. Um, like with, with things like this, I'm typically the kind of guy that needs to warm up to them 
Mm-hmm. Like, like I start off slow. Like if I'm telling my story, mm-hmm. I start off slow and, and my brain just doesn't work well. And then when I get into the flow of things, then I can like, so meditation kind of helps me warm my mind up, I think. Yeah. That helps. I'm yeah. very impulsive. So like that was just totally me. Like, no, fuck this. Let's go. <laughs> like, let's, let's start. Yeah. I mean, you're like a, you're like a fast starter. I'm a slow starter. Yeah. But yeah. it's, it's good to, you know, slow down and yeah. think things through sometimes. I think so. Uh, so yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, you know, I think, uh, I feel like we've known each other for a long time, but not really known each other. <laughs> yeah you know it's just kind of it's it's always been like you know i mean i don't know just never had the opportunity to really like get to know each other yeah we've just seen each other at a lot of places yeah with a lot of other people yeah a lot of common friends but yeah i don't think we've we've had like some conversations like i remember having a conversation with you on like a thursday night one time and i walked away i'm like whoa it was so cool Mm. but just never kind of synced up (laughs) thank you so much for that (laughs) Yeah, and I always thought you were cool. I was, I've always been an admirer of yours. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, not to be creepy or anything. The fan club? <laughs> but Part I've of always, the fan club? But you know how it is. You know, you see people that you just kind of develop a, a respect for just because you, you know, you can see that they're doing something. Yeah, I married one. Yeah, So totally. Yeah. And I think that's the attractive thing, too, about, like, the longer you stay sober, mm-hmm. there's... You know, there's more and more people, there's people with like half the amount of time I have or that are, you know, really newly sober that I admire a lot. Yeah. And what they do and their fire and how they're doing it, even when their life is just a train wreck. Yeah. It's really impressive to see like how this thing can like just lift people. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. There's so many like, yeah, like there's so many people like your husband for one, like he's just, he's an impressive guy. (laughs) And I'm always, I've always been just kind of, um, um, just, I guess, impressed, not can't find a better word, <laughs> but by his, just like his level of like, just calm and like a seeming like humility that he carries himself with. He does. It's a good, uh, good thing to rub off on me. Yeah. So I think a little bit, it's a good balance. Yeah. Yeah. Which so, I'm constantly seeking. Well, yeah. Um, all right. So, um, so let me, so let's, let's go ahead and jump into it. What do you, uh, what do you say? You just go ahead and start telling us, uh, how you, uh, Got into this bike shop? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, I'm an alcoholic, and I was an addict as well, and I've been in recovery for over nine years now. I'll have 10 years sober if I make it to February 15th, which is crazy to me. It's like a decade. Double dig. That's That's a big... (laughs) So crazy. And... Yeah, so I got sober when I was very young. I was, I mean, I know people that are much younger that have gotten sober, but at the time it was really young. I was only 20 at my first meeting, and then I got sober when I was 21. Yeah. So, yeah, I was born into a family of alcoholics, but it was almost like I missed the party. I was 20 years younger than my brother, 25 years younger than my sister. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I missed the party. Uh, so a lot of my cousins are like 20 to 50 years older than me, like a lot older. And because my dad had my sister really early in life when he was 15, and he had me when he was 44. Yeah. So just a huge wow, age gap. <laughs> and that's so strange that like 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 extreme opposites for both of y'all. Oh, completely. And he was an alcoholic and as well. So um, yeah, I got sober dad. They had alcoholic dad, and. <laughs> 
but by the time I was born, everyone was sober. Yeah. Like my aunts, were, my aunts and uncles were sober and my dad was sober. He actually, I just found this out recently. He went into rehab when I was about a month from being due. I forgot to start it. I'm oh, sorry. That's okay. So I was like, oh no, it's I'm messing up his audio. <laughs> no, I'm Andy just started up. moving around a little bit, just for those who can't see. I'm horrible. Maybe at some point we'll be able to get a producer that does all this stuff, well, and I can actually pay attention and not seem like I'm preoccupied. With I think it's all good. Yeah, it takes what it takes. That's where we're at. Yeah. So apparently, my dad, when he went to rehab, he went to like a 28-day treatment facility, and it was in a city's hospital, and he left. And my mom went into labor the next day with me and delivered me in the same hospital. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Like, I, I just found this out. Oh, really? So, yeah. <laughs> so he's like one day sober and has an infant. So he stayed sober from then on? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. 28 years. New life. Completely. Times two. Yeah. Times two. <laughs> so that's kind of the situation I was born into. My parents were at the top of their game. They were both marketing executives. And they... My dad would go into New York every day. My mom worked from home. I had a nanny. I had like French nannies, Romanian <laughs> nannies, all kinds of nannies. We were in Connecticut. And I had like a pretty normal life until I was about seven. And then my dad got laid off from a job. His uh, company was acquired and decided that they, we were all going to move on to a sailboat and sail from the from Connecticut to Guatemala. So oh. that's where the Guatemala connection comes in. He actually I, wanted to get all the way to Panama. Wow. And how and I was actually born in Panama. You were? Yeah. That's cool. Uh, so so how how old were you? So when we moved on the boat, I was 7. Okay. So second grade. So homeschool from then on? Yes, theoretically. <laughs> so my mom tried to homeschool me, but teaching is hard. Teaching yeah. is really hard. And she never taught anyone before. And I ref just point blank refused to do math. So yeah. by the time we came back, I was like, what is division? <laughs> like, what is a fraction? Like, I had no idea. Are you still bad at math? Yeah, I think I could have been good if I had also thought that, like, it was okay to be good at math. I just yeah, thought yeah. I was bad and didn't try. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the thing, too, like. So I'm, I'm not naturally good at math, but if I, f I put forth effort, I'm decent. Have you done symbolic logic before? No, I don't know. <laughs> so symbolic logic is like the thing at universities that you take if you don't want to take math, but oh. you need to fulfill a math credit. So I took that and it's got a lot of the same ideas, but uses logic, like if then, or, uh -huh. and I loved Instead it. Instead of like the symbols? Yeah, yeah, it has like the symbol, like actual symbols, uh -huh. um, but it doesn't have like division and stuff like that. It's all logic. And I loved that. I wound up tutoring it. Oh, wow. So I feel like if there was no numbers in math, I would have been okay. It was mm. as soon as I saw a number, I'm like, nope, not for me. Yeah. Give me a book. Yeah, math gives me, I mean, literally, like it's a, it actually makes my brain hurt. I, I never do the do tip. Like the tip is going to be 20% every time. I, that's it. <laughs> that's all I can calculate. Like, I don't care what happens. Yeah, no, I can't do it. Yeah, it sucks. If I don't have like a calculator handy or if like somebody or if somebody wants to like I have to do like figure somebody's change here, I'm just like at a loss. Yeah. I just have to round up. That's and take a loss. 
So yeah, I never recovered from from the homeschooling. It was pretty loose. Uh, my mom did the best we could. Oh, and then they would they would mail us like these homeschool pamphlets, and we would just like frantically do them about like a week before they were due. Oh, wow. So that way I could get like my second grade certificate, third grade certificate. So she was teaching you how to like procrastinate and cram last minute. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> a, that's actually really funny that you say that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, she's, uh, yeah, that's definitely something I inherited and learned. And I actually didn't finish fourth grade, Mm. which we didn't tell the fifth grade school. I failed fourth grade. You failed fourth grade. So many things in common. (laughs) Not even allowed to pass fourth grade. Well, I I failed fourth grade because I was. uh, Were you still in Guatemala then? Yeah, I was still living in Guatemala. And that year, I don't know. I just. uh, I'll be honest with you, I always have like, I'm like, oh, I was, I didn't pay attention or that was definitely a lot of that. Um, but then so halfway through the year, I was doing so bad that they told my mom, it's like, he's got to get it together. So my sister tutored me for the rest of the year. So I'd get home and I would go in oh, my no. sister's room yeah. and she would like help me with my homework and stuff. And, but I ended up failing. It was really sad. Was that kind of brutal? Did you have to repeat it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. The first day. The, the first day repeating class feels is the worst. It's just, it's inc- <gasps> and I was like, you know, f- I guess fourth grade. How old are you then? Ten. Ten. Yeah. Well, you were ten. They were nine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then I, I think I was always like kind of old for my for my class anyway. So, I was, you know, anyways. So, yeah. Another thing. <laughs> yeah. <just> bad education. <laughs> so, yeah. So kind of homeschooled we bumped we just moved onto a sailboat 43 feet three people a dog and a cat that's amazing and my parents also didn't really know what they were doing they were scared of the dark <laughs> and they were known for like crashing the boat into things back in connecticut uh-huh. uh, back in their drinking days so now they were sober but i mean it was we didn't have like a good GPS. You couldn't really see where you were going. Yeah, you were just going like, off these old charts and sometimes like the island wouldn't be there. So you'd be like, <laughs> what else isn't there? That's terrifying. Where's the rock? Yeah. And then like, I guess like, okay, so from Connecticut, you can kind of hug the coast the whole way down. But once you get into the Gulf, that's like scary, huh? Yeah. So we took the intercoastal waterway all the way down, starting in Maryland to Florida. And then oh. our first overnight... We actually, I learned this recently too. So whenever we were going overnight, this guy named Cliff would come and I had no idea he was like a hired captain because my parents were scared of the dark and didn't want to do it alone. So there'd always be like Cliff who I was, at that point, I really judged people who were drinking or using drugs around me. Uh I didn't understand it because I knew my family had a history with alcoholism and I just thought, why would you do that? Like That's so dumb if you're genetically predisposed to it. So I judged the hell out of this poor guy that would come onto <laughs> our boat and like help us like not die for a couple of days. And he would drink. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He would take out the dog in Key West. I remember him taking out the dog and we like lost the dog for a while and found the dog in like a bar drinking uh-huh. like with Cliff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that kind of stuff would happen. All right. And I was around a lot of drinking in the different marinas because we would meet people, you know, people that chose like, hey, society's not for me. I'm going to go on my boat. And that sounds oh, like yeah, a great idea to alcoholics. <laughs> that's not usually like the high functioning type like your parents. <laughs> yeah. My parents were definitely the high functioning sailors, despite maybe some of their navigational shortcomings. Yeah. <laughs> and they were so scared of the dark. Did you so listen funny. to a lot of Jimmy Buffett? Oh, yeah. 
Really? Yeah, they would play uh, Jimmy Buffett, Dilbert McClinton. Mm-hmm. Oh, Bob Marley. Oh, so yeah. much Bob Marley. Oh, God. that's uh, That was my first. Uh, my dad gave me that tape. It was my first ever tape that I owned. Bob, Bob Marley? Marley legend. Oh, I love it. I love <laughs> that. Best. I love Bob Marley. I yeah. still, whenever I hear like three little birds, get oh, like man. a warm, fuzzy feeling. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> So, yeah, so we wound up going all the way down to the river, um, did that for three years, and then came back after that. So all the way down to? Guatemala. Okay. So, but, okay, so, so, so tell me again the route you took. I'm sorry. It's very convoluted because it took three years and would take probably a normal fam, you know, a professional yeah. boat, like a couple of months. But for us, we went from Connecticut to Florida, Bahamas, back to Florida, Cuba, Mexico, Belize, Guatemala, and then we came back. Wow. Three years. That's a, I mean, that's like, and this whole time your parents were just uh, like living off savings, just. No, they actually were kind of the OG work from home people, which wow. is really funny because I work from home now. It's such a common thing now, but back such then. Such a it's common like, thing. So, so, I mean, how, how long ago was that? Like early 90s? Mid 90s. Yeah. So they used the internet back then? Yeah, they used the internet in these like huge, we had laptops on the boat, but we'd go, wherever we went, we'd go to an internet cafe. Uh huh. And we'd be, I remember one that was in like the Rio Dulce in Guatemala and was literally a shack. Yeah. Like through the jungle, like with, you know, jungle stuff around you, parrots and ferns and everything. And there'd be a little shack and that was our internet cafe. And my mom and I used it to, uh, there was a hurricane that, hit us and so we used it to track the hurricane we'd like just go up to the internet cafe and Uh search it and go back home wow so so you guys wound up in so you guys stayed in the rio dulce area yeah we stayed there for a while probably about six months we stayed in isla mujeres a while for six months and then we would stay in these places for a while because my parents were still working Uh so they were advertisers so whenever they had a big pitch due or whatever they would just fly up to new york they never told their clients oh wow which is hysterical. They would just like show up in New York. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, insane, dre- dude. Yeah, dressed to impress. That's so awesome, though. And it was, what's crazy is that now you can actually pull that off like indefinitely if you, if you really... Oh, now it's like an influencer lifestyle. Yeah, you know? it really is. God dang it. Maybe one day I'll be able to make mechanic from work, from home. <laughs> you could definitely just bring... Well, actually, equipment is a really big pain to yeah. travel with. Well, ideally... Well, I mean, when, you know, ideally at some point, I'd like to just have this thing being run for me. <laughs> yeah, that's, and then that's I can, the like, dream, right? Yeah. So maybe one day we'll see. So, okay. So you're back. So it took three years. And then you're, you're back. So you guys went back to Connecticut. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. They decided to go to Florida instead because it was warm. Okay. And so they sent me to a little private school over there. And... <laughs> Whatever. We'll uh, so, go over. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, we don't want to go over an hour because then I won't be able to upload it. Okay. I, I, I guess I would have to cut. I'm going to really gloss over those teen years because they were a little rough, so don't worry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I went to a little small private school. I was extremely shy. Wouldn't speak except to, like, yell an answer out in the middle of a class. Oh. And just, <laughs> I was the only girl with boobs. It was horrible. So that was my fifth grade experience. A lot of culture shock. And that was in Palm Beach County, Florida. And then the next year was the 2000 election and then September 11th, all of that stuff. So during that time, I wasn't drinking or using, but I was 
I've absolutely hated myself, mm. like starting to get very self-conscious, just uh, doing whatever I could to rank up. Like I saw everything as ranked. Mm. Like I would just rank people when I walked into a room to try to see like where I was in it yeah, and how I could be safe. And, and it was all imaginary, like completely imaginary, but that's just what happened in my head. So I started being attracted to the idea. I remember, and I share this every time I saw, I, w- I would watch ER. I would like binge watch TV shows. Mm-hmm. Of course, most kids did. And I would, I developed like this huge crush on one of the doctors, Dr. Carter, who starts shooting up fentanyl. Oh, wow. And I thought it was sexy. (laughs) And I was like 12. Wow. And so I think when they talk about like the disease of alcohol and addiction, like centering in the mind, like that's really what it means for me. Like I've been attracted to it. Yeah. Forever. Like somehow I knew that was the thing that would make me feel better. And then, you know. I never had an idea that I would drink normally or like use drugs normally. No one uses heroin very normally. Yeah. (laughs) uh, And then just go to like treatment when I was 40, like my dad did. Yeah. So you kind of imagined that happening. Yeah, absolutely. And you're like, my dad, he figured it out. Yeah, you just do it. So I can just kind of like do the same thing. Yeah. I thought getting sober was what you did before you had a kid. Yeah. So you kind of just live it up until you're, you exactly. know, you're ready to get it together. And everyone yeah. feels sorry for you. And then you're at this great like success story. Like that's oh, what yeah. I thought when I was 12. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. It's really messed up. <laughs> well, it's funny. Cause like, I think that, I don't know if, cause I remember we, when I was a kid, like my brother and I, we would like pretend to take shots, you know, <laughs> yeah. like the kids do. We would go like, and make With the, the water? face. And yeah. Go, you know, and then put the shot glass down. Like there's a, there's an appeal to the whole like thing. I think there's like, you there's know. an attraction yeah. that I feel like I was born with yeah. personally. Yeah. I think, yeah, def- I don't know. Maybe for me, I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Sometimes people are fine until, you know, they're like in their sixties and yeah. then all of a sudden it happens. But for me, it was very quick. Yeah. And I know for me, when I look back at my experience that I never drank normally, like I always drank it to excess. There was never like a time where I was like, go to a party and just drink a few beers and then go home. That sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah. I was always just annihilated no matter like from the time I started drinking when I was in, in high school till you know, to the time I got sober. It wasn't ever, it was never, a mo- I never moderated. Yeah. I didn't, as when I took my first drink, I think I was about 13 or 14 stealing parents liquor. My parents had a liquor cabinet, but no one drank. So yeah. it would just like people would give them liquor, not knowing that they didn't drink and it would just stockpile up and they wouldn't yeah. notice if it was gone because nobody drank until I started drinking. Mm. So I would usually just take from that and just from the first time, absolutely loved it. And I always thought the point was trying to drink as much as you could. And that's how I drank. Yeah. So from jump. Yeah, from jump. Absolutely. Yeah. I thought it was so much fun. I would start planning how could I get drunk on the weekends. I would coerce m- my friends to steal their parents' liquor frequently on weekends. <laughs> and then by the time I was like 14, I think 14, started dabbling in weed. Then 15, 16, doing coke. And drinking was always there for me, but mm-hmm. so was drug use. I was basically just trying to find something that would make me feel okay. Yeah. And uh, experimenting with whatever combination I could find. Wow. Do you think, 
So do you, did you, you felt like you, you were like an outsider whenever you like. All the time, unless I was like in a car smoking weed with a bunch of people passing a joint. Like then I felt like I belonged and I was okay. Hmm. So yeah, no, always I was very, that idea of like rank and that I was like the lowest ranked among girls. I know it sounds like so weird, but I just thought like nobody liked me. I just thought, you know, I just thought I, I didn't think I was pretty. It was just a rough, rough couple of years. And then when I was in high school, it improved a bit. I had a boyfriend that was older and that's when I discovered drugs along with alcohol. Yeah. And that opened up some doors for me. Do, do you think, and this is just a question that's popping in my head, because do you think that your experience of like the three years on a boat, like kind of made you feel like you were le- like different? Than oh, the absolutely. Thing? I yeah. was the boat kid. Yeah. Did they call you the boat kid or you did? You- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They, uh, I remember when I came back in fifth grade, the mothers, they were very, or at least this was our impression. Again, I would keep in mind that my impression was based on people that would move onto a sailboat and just like ditch everything for three years. Yeah. But our impression was that they were very like concerned with safety and like boxing their kids in and just like all the rules. So when kids would visit me, they had to wear like a life jacket on the dock, which is ridiculous. Like no one has to wear a life jacket (laughs) unless it's like severe weather. So, yeah, I I felt very different, and I just never quite recovered from that. I wouldn't tell people that I lived on a boat. Okay. So, so like you guys secret. lived on a boat when you lived in Florida, then? Yeah. So we bought a house about I think maybe like six months to a year after okay. we. So I'd like you know I'd be showering in the marina bathroom, <laughs> like yeah. you know go, then going to my preppy little private school and then coming oh, back. Oh God, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, it was still incredibly, like, privileged and stuff, but just in terms of, like, how that affected me and, like, might have led to my... It was just so different, yeah. Oh, it was complete culture shock. Yeah. Never recovered. Yeah. Well, it's weird because, like, I I think, like, you know, I don't know if you're aware, like, if you've heard me tell my story, or if I even... There's a cult involved. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, so, like, I grew up a little, like, in that, so I always... I never, I never recovered from that, like, as in, like, the sense that, like... I'm an outsider from this weird lifestyle into like, yep. and trying to like incorporate myself back into like normal society was just like felt impossible. And they're going to find me out. Like yeah. they're going to discover me. Oh, and I never told anybody. I would never tell anybody no. about the boat either. That's like the it one was, thing you can't do. <laughs> Don't tell them. Dude, I swear to God, like it wasn't until I got sober that I could actually talk about it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's taken me a long time too. And yeah. I imagine yours, I don't know, I'm sure yours might be the same way like mine was absolutely wonderful in some ways like I the jungle was my playground yeah that's awesome. had no rules never had to go to school like a kid's dream yeah. and, I, and I'm sure people hear it and they go man that sounds awesome yeah that was awesome <laughs> that was completely awesome yeah well that's cool that you can recognize that too you know and not just because I think that like for me it took it, I think it took me a long time to like not hold that against my parents yeah I also just keep finding things out as time goes like I so I had a lot of guilt around coming back because one reason they came back was because what they said was that I was starting to get weird. (laughs) (laughs) Turned out, (laughs) turned out like it's probably also that my mom wanted to go back, but at the time it was like, I was going to turn out weird. So we came back and my dad was just not happy on land. He was just not a land man. So I felt pretty guilty over that for a while. Yeah. That's crazy. 
Yeah. <laughs> just not a land. I know it seems so like outlandish. But and, that's like, so cool though, man. I mean, he was, I, he was a cool it, dude. it would be like awesome to like just navigate and live on a boat. Fucking, I would have but yeah. like, I don't know. It's, it sounds very romantic when you think about it. But and I then guess. everything's breaking. Like imagine, you know how much a bike breaks? Imagine a oh, boat God. Yeah, in the water. And be honest with you, like, I don't know that I could do it because I'm like really bad with water. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> Maybe like a van. A I mean, van like you're, you're saying that you're like you don't need a life vest unless there's bad weather. I would wear it 24-7. <laughs> oh, man. That's rough. So, yeah, so I got off the boat. Um, that was middle school, high school. So, yeah, by the time I found drugs and alcohol, I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. Loved drugs. And, again, never told anyone about the boat. Just trying to fit in. I lived in the area uh, near Boca Raton, Florida. And so, you know, it was kind of, I, I loved I loved it, and it was absolutely beautiful. But I wasn't from there and had some difficulty fitting in mm-hmm. for me personally. Then... I graduated. Uh, my teen years were like absolutely like high school years were horrible. I spent most of my time just trying to get high. So I would skip class a lot. I would show up to class high every day, that kind of thing. So it was already affecting me. Uh, when I was in ninth grade, I remember I had a teacher that was like, you know, I used to love parent teacher conferences because I would just get praise and like uh, <laughs> I lived for like parent teacher conference day. I was like such a teacher. Because you knew they were going to just like. Just, just give me so much you. praise, like wow. all the praise, That's all the so recognition funny. I and ever you, wanted. Would you just imagine them like talking about you and just like all, nothing but good things being said? Oh, I couldn't wait for my parents to come home and I just like <laughs> pump them for like nice things teachers said about me. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> just I've always been that way. That's funny. So, yeah. And so they were, you know, they talked about really good universities. They talked about really you know, that they talked about a lot of potential. They talked about where I could go and what I was interested in. And then by the time I was like 11th grade, like I was high all the time Yeah. and had a lot of behavioral issues. So at that point, and those parent teacher conferences weren't too good or do they still have them? Oh in, God. In, I imagine they were probably really awkward. It was just <laughs> me. I remember uh, I had one teacher write me a recommendation and she said, Kate is the most complex student I have had. Uh, <laughs> That's nice of her. <laughs> like, what kind of compliment? Like, yeah. So <laughs> it was definitely an interesting time. I had a good friend. Um, but yeah, some of it was really fun. And I like to share that too. Like, I enjoyed getting high. I enjoyed going into a jacuzzi and smoking weed on my lunch break or whatever they call it at schools. I enjoyed, you know, that excitement, like a summer night and meeting up with a bunch of like people of the opposite sex, mm-hmm. straight. So that was exciting for me. And <laughs> You know, and just like being a kid yeah. and being free. Like, I loved that. That was fun for me. Those were good times. Yeah. Yeah. High school was good. It was fun for me. Like, you know, I, I, I can't like I, there were definitely consequences and I was definitely going down a bad road. But man, when I think about it, I, I get a little feeling of nostalgia. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, I yeah, think it's, like I think it's. I think sometimes, like, at least in the beginning, I, I felt like I had to paint it all as, like, some dreadful, horrible, like... Yeah. You know? Like, that's why I'm like this. <laughs> yeah. And really, I I was incredibly selfish already. A hurricane hit us. Uh, Wilma hit us. It was the same year as Katrina. And I remember my dad trying to get a giant palm tree out of the pool and asking for help. And I pickpocketed my car keys out of his shorts went to the car, picked up my best friend and drove to Orlando three hours away. <laughs> wow. 
So I was like, I'm not helping with this shit. This yeah. looks awful. I was just so, so selfish at that point. So that was difficult for my parents. I decided to go to Tulane for, or can I say that? No, yeah, it, fuck it. We can. Can you edit that one out? Yeah. I'm so sorry. That's fine. What time are we at? We got this. 31. Okay, cool. So I went to, uh, <laughs> I went to college in New Orleans and that's what brought me here. And that, and... But you didn't get sober immediately, did you? No. My dream was that I would change locations, and with that, all my problems would be solved. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I would rush and be in a sorority. Oh, wow. Who would pick me. Remember the ranking thing? Oh, yeah. That's that's, that's exactly where that goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's happening. (laughs) So that's my idea of, like, what's going to happen. And then what actually happened was I went blacked out every night for the first week, made some good friends on like day one, had lost them all by day seven. Wow. All. And they were wrecks. Like my behavior was just so out of control because what happens to me when I drink is it's not only that I don't want to stop or I can't stop, but my behavior is horrible. I'm totally Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde or whatever it is. Like not a quiet drunk, like not one that just falls asleep in the corner. Like I'm making a ruckus overreacting to stuff, have absolutely no respect for people's space or authority (laughs) for police officers. So uh, it was a rough transition. Oh, and so then I met some people. The Coke was terrible. Sorry, not to offend uh, (laughs) any New Orleanians. But at that time... I think we can uh, offend the Coke community. (laughs) I don't want to get anyone offended. I'm sure there's some really great cocaine out there. But (laughs) sorry... But I was coming from Miami and Of course, that's where I mean that's where it lands, right? Yeah. So or, anyway. Or I don't know. I guess it's where I don't know how it works. <laughs> yeah. Basically I was partying a lot. I switched out different drugs for each other and but always tried to control it. Like I always had very good grades. I would only do hard drugs on Wednesdays to control it, mm-hmm. which is crazy. <laughs> like, who does that? So And then I got to a point where I was like, this is insane. I'm going to die. Like, I cannot be doing this. And I quit doing all other drugs, anything, just drinking. Might smoke pot once in a while, but very light, very light for a college kid. And by that time, I was about 19 or 20. And then I, my drinking became more unpredictable. My behavior had always been pretty unpredictable, but I went from that like wild and crazy friend, like what she's going to do to like, she's punching a bouncer in the face. Oh God. So (laughs) I couldn't reliably predict what was going to happen when I drank. Like I didn't know if it, I would have three glasses of wine and be fine with my friends or if I would have like two shots. And for some reason, just something would snap in my brain. It was like my brain broke. Yeah. I just didn't react to alcohol normally i never reacted normally but it was it was getting more more abnormal absolutely uncontrollable and it wasn't the amount i was drinking it was how i was reacting when i was drinking it wow and it actually runs in my family which i found out later that a lot of women in my family have this exact same thing and got sober young because of it wow so i got arrested on campus by a university police force and got a ticket for uh resisting arrest and basically woke up in a hospital with a very, very expensive bill that I did not know how I was going to pay. Oh. And at that point, I was like, I'm, this is not acceptable. 
so that was kind of the consequence for me that eventually brought me to be able to be open to some help. I also went to the universities, I don't know what they're called, the people that allow you to still live on campus with other people. Uh-huh. And they mandated that I go to a substance abuse counselor at that point. So I went, and within two sessions, he had helped me see that I was probably an alcoholic. And I became much more open-minded about seeking different help, whether it was 12-step programs, therapy, whatever. I just never wanted to wake up in a hospital like that again. Yeah. So how much was, I mean, does it matter, I guess, how much was the bill? I'm curious. It was $3,000. Yeah. and so For a one-night stay. And Can you imagine the hotel that I could have gotten? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And then, so whatever you went, wound up in the hospital for insurance wouldn't cover it, I guess, or. (laughs) I don't remember. I know I had to pay $3,000. So it was probably a lot more than that. I know (laughs) that what was involved was there was an ambulance. There was an overnight stay in a, in a room there. Yeah. And And they're not very luxurious rooms. No, I, d- I did get a room by myself because oh, yeah. I was so horrible. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I feel so bad for anyone that was uh, working that night. But, you know, it got me to where I am today. So grateful for it. So that was whenever you decided to get sober? Mm, that's when I knew there was a problem and I was really scared. I was really, really scared. Okay. But, I, you, but you didn't get sober immediately after that? I got sober. So I went and I, I went to meetings and I got a sponsor and she suggested that I try to go to a bar without drinking and then they had free drinks (laughs) and then I left her like a drunken message like I'm definitely an alcoholic wow and so then I worked uh the steps and was sober about three months three or four months and so that's interesting do you feel like that was good advice yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it worked for me. Yeah, it absolutely worked. And whenever I give similar advice, it's with people who aren't certain if they're alcoholic or not. Yeah. So those are people where like 12 step programs might not work for you yet. If you're not convinced. Yeah. If you don't know. I also know people that weren't entirely convinced and just kept doing it and got sober that way, too. And yeah. that way is fine. Yeah. That always just seems so scary to tell somebody, you know, or like it seems like, like, like oh, man, I don't want to, you know, I just... But I guess, I mean, it even suggests that in some of the literature. Yeah. And it it worked for me. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's awesome. And often I'll ask somebody if they want, if they seem to be like, "Eh, I don't know. I'll be like, well, do you want to go try this? And most of the time they're like, they're like, no, no, (laughs) (laughs) no, thank you. Yeah. Okay. So three months and then what? I relapsed. Uh, I relapsed at my aunt's funeral. She also died with. I don't know, probably over 30 years of sobriety. Hmm. I wasn't sad, but what happened was I wasn't, I wasn't taking care of myself. Yeah. I wasn't listening to the people I should have been listening to. I was still going to frat parties. I would play beer pong and just have other people uh, drink the beer for me. I was still very much in that college life mm-hmm. and not really accepting that I was, you know, a 21 year old alcoholic who needed to be sober. It was very difficult for me to accept. I also didn't realize that alcoholism and addiction is a fatal illness, which I believe it is because if I 
ever relapse again. Like, I just know it's going to get worse. For me, it was very, very progressive. Yeah. You just always assumed that you would just do it like your dad. And so like, when I'm ready. Yeah. Like at 40, <laughs> like 10 years from now. Yeah. That's crazy. Could you imagine if you're still drinking? All, and then, like, I'd be dead. It, yeah. I would have died. Wow. There's no way I would have made it. Yeah, it progresses so much. It just progresses so quick in different people. Yeah. Yeah, mine was always like when I was telling my dad I was getting help, he was like, finally. And I was 21. (laughs) You know, like it felt like a really long time for those that were there for sure. Wow. All right. So you want to take a break there? Yeah, we can take a break there because all the rest after that relapse, that was like two weeks and then I was sober the rest of the time. All right, cool. Well, we'll be right back. Okay, we're back from break. We're back. From vape break. Mm-hmm. Bike break. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so where did we leave off? Um, I had four months sober and then relapsed. Yeah. So were I... You, so you were going to meetings of this yeah. specific place? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was, you know, pretty involved in a 12-step program, which helped me a lot because I was so young and I really needed that community. I didn't have family here yeah. in New Orleans at the time. And that's like Insta family, almost. Yeah, they were very, very welcoming. Like, I couldn't remember Insta anyone fam. coming up to me and give, asking me to call them for a very <laughs> long time, you know? Yeah. So I found that, but I still was very much, I just was... So yeah, I just felt like I didn't understand how severe it was, which I know sounds weird, but yeah. I just didn't, it didn't quite click well, uh, in 20, my head. 21? 20 at that time. And then shortly after my 21st birthday, I relapsed. It just seems like an impossibility to me almost that you could see how severe it was. Like it just seemed, at least for me, like when I look back, I look at my twenties and my early twenties and. Even my late teens, I go, oh, yeah, clearly. But yeah. at that time, never occurred to me. I remember my dad suggesting I, w- I might be an alcoholic. And I went, what? <laughs> like, where did that come what? from? That doesn't make sense at all. Crazy. <laughs> and I think a large part of that, too, is because at that age, you're still so concerned with what other people think of you and what your friends think of you. And again, I just didn't want to be the weird sober girl. Yeah. Like, sober that was boat not- girl. The weird sober boat girl. I was also living on campus mm. at the time at a, you know, a big party school and yeah. in a big party town. Big party town. Yeah. And you just couldn't get it. So I went through all of the steps. I actually did a very, very honest. Uh, I was very honest and did as much work as I possibly could, but I just wasn't going to listen to anyone. So I relapsed at the end of January at my aunt's funeral. I remember it was kind of a shitty funeral. (laughs) I mean, not to make fun of funerals. And I was just so sick at that point. I was like, well, if I'm just going to like do this thing and then have a shitty funeral, what's the point? Yeah. So I remember thinking that. And then we went to dinner after and I didn't order wine and everyone else around me was ordering wine. And one of my, except of course the, uh, the like aunts and uncles like they weren't ordering wine because again they were all sober sober but like my cousins were (laughs) 
And my aunt asked me if I was not drinking and said it like in a certain way. And I turned around and ordered a glass of red wine. Wow. You were just waiting for an opportunity. Yeah. I just, I remember just thinking, fuck it. And like, whenever I think fuck it, like nothing good follows ever. Like nothing good has ever followed whenever I've said fuck it. So, I mean, I guess, like you said, there wasn't like that complete defeat yet at that point. I felt completely defeated. I think it's more of a case of I hit bottom and kept digging because I felt completely defeated. But I just I think I needed to get a little bit more beat up to see the severity of the issue. Uh, And also when I relapsed, I was like, well, maybe I could just moderate. And honestly, I did moderate for a week or two. Yeah. And it was okay. And I was having a good time. And if someone can moderate, like, awesome. Like, go yeah. moderate. Like, enjoy yourself. <laughs> I just know that for me, uh, at the end of the two weeks, I had this just awful night. Just, you know, got thrown out of bars. And it was just terrible. And when I woke up the next day, I none of my friends would speak to me. And they said, you should go talk to those sober people. <laughs> So I thought my life was completely over. Like yeah. I thought I would never have fun again, never have friends again. Why do I why do I remember like there being like a pink tutu involved or something? So in the first incident it was a butterfly costume. Okay. <laughs> the last pink tutu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a butterfly costume. It yeah. was quite a sight. <laughs> the second incident I lost a leather jacket. I wasn't dressed up. It was during Mardi Gras. Oh. So then you got sober after Mardi Gras and you went back to see the sober people. Yeah. So on February 15th, I woke up and that was my first day sober. Wow. And, and you've been... been a lot. All right. Well, the to end. me at least. <laughs> the end. Uh, the beginning, really, right? Yeah. I mean, if, it certainly felt more like an end than a beginning at the time. <laughs> I was like, this is horrible. I was in so much pain. Just, I mean, emotionally and felt very alone there was a sort of grieving process because I just I knew that if I behaved like that after just a couple of drinks I knew I couldn't drink like without hurting people and Mm. that just that was the final straw actually that I knew I would hurt other people and also that I would not do well in prison (laughs) personally yeah I don't think I would have either and my behavior was sending me to some sort of institution for sure did you ever do any kind of like nights, overnights in jail or anything like that? No, I was very lucky in that the first time they sent me, <clears throat> they sent me to the hospital instead, if you could call that lucky. <laughs> and then the second time I was actually, I wasn't booked. I was taken, you know, that little jail across from Miss Mays? Mm, no. Can I say Miss Mays? I mean, if you can't talk about Miss Mays <laughs> no, on a yeah, recovery it's fine. Co- podcast. You totally mentioned bars and stuff. <laughs> Look, the thing about me, though, is like I don't know any bars. Cause oh, because you moved. Did you I, move here? Sober? I got sober when I moved here. And I like I got sober months after I moved here. And I basically just camped out in Algiers in my sister's bedroom for the first few months I was here. I didn't do anything. I just drank yeah. it alone. So I didn't party here. So anytime somebody's like, oh, yeah, right by such and uh, Louis, Louis Shack or something. I'm yeah. like, I have no idea what Louis Shack is. Yeah. <laughs> well, this one, this bar has a police station right across the street from it. So yeah, I visited it twice. <laughs> and my friend just said, like, you can't take her in. It's Sunday before Mardi Gras. She wouldn't make it like you can't take her in. And they I don't know if they just didn't want to deal with us or what, but they mm. let me go twice. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm very, I mean, I guess again, it's awesome. 
a lot of it I think is honestly privilege. Like if I looked different, yeah. I would have had a very different story. Yeah. And I like to make sure I recognize that. Yeah, that's totally that's I mean, that's probably so very true. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I was a different color, if I was a different gender. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, maybe I used to get away with uh I got stopped drunk a lot and got let go a lot. Now, my my ID says who almost said my name. My ID is like a Spanish sounding name. Okay. <laughs> but like So they didn't want to I don't know. I, but I mean, I guess uh I mean, maybe you're just I'm, such a nice guy. They wanted Hispanic, to let you go. But I'm white. You know what I mean? So like, I imagine that maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. But I always thought that I was just really slick. You know? Maybe you were <laughs> slick. Maybe they're like, hey, we don't, you know, we don't want to mess with this one. He's the slickest. No, I, I got a fair amount of tickets. Yeah. And I had seven car crashes before I was 18. <laughs> <laughs> so you, but DUIs? No, no DUIs. Yeah. See, I never Pretty got, amazing. I got one DUI. So, I mean, and to say that I pretty much drank under the influence from my entire 20s like it was not much of much i mean there was some sober driving but there was a lot yeah i could have killed somebody yeah for sure and i and i got stopped a lot and, and let go a lot yeah i just didn't get stopped that yeah. i mean i got stopped sometimes and with the car accidents obviously yeah but yeah i got lucky yeah, escaped a lot of consequences. Got finally got my D, my first DUI, and then I that was the first time I went into AA, mm-hmm. um, or twelve step program, or whatever you use, <laughs> whatever yeah. it is, right? What, whatever works for you. And uh, and um, I had to wear like a monitoring bracelet, but that was like the first real big consequence that I had, and I was like twenty seven. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know my face is like, oh, you started so late, <laughs> but like other people might li- listen and be like, that's so young. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, I know people that got sober when they were 14 Yeah. and that they needed it. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, granted, I mean, I was drinking like a maniac for a long time, but that was the first time I actually got caught and got into some real like, you know, like, oh, I could, I, you know, and I spent the night in jail. That's no fun. That was terrible. Cause look, I'm, I think like I look at you and, you and you say you won't do good in jail, but I think you got spunk, and I think that <laughs> I might make I it. I feel like you probably do. do I think you'd do better. You know, than if you think I relapse, I'm just gonna hear that voice. I'm just gonna hear Andy's voice being like, "Don't worry, you, you can got make spunk. it. Just, just go up and punch the biggest person you see. That's it. That's what <laughs> so you gotta they know do. how crazy you are. But I, well, I don't know. Even I think I would do better than I think I would do, just because I'm able to like just kind of like navigate with you when you're small i think you you learn to kind of like just navigate with other quietly tools. yeah you, you, you develop other tools you know yeah most people most people generally wind up liking me so it's a good thing i have most yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good so anyways yeah so i relapsed it was terrible woke up had to go back to the sober people mm-hmm. and i was also going to therapy during this whole time which for me was just as important Honestly, as any work I was doing with um, a 12-step program, especially because they reinforced each other so much, Mm. like my sponsor would say something one way and then my therapist would say it another way. And I was just able to really dig in into what a selfish person I was. Mm. I was incredibly selfish, just absolutely inconsiderate. And I remember one time my therapist was like, you seem like a really angry little girl. (laughs) <laughs> and that's what I was. I was just yeah. like still this angry little kid. 
wow. who just wanted her way all the time. And if I didn't get it, then I would just throw tantrums or and manipulate my way into getting it. Were you used to hearing somebody speak to you so candidly and directly? No. Yeah. Um, my dad sometimes. Yeah. But other than that? No. Yeah. Never. Yeah. That was kind of weird. That was for me too. Like my, 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 my treatment center counselor told me some things and I was like, oh. I was like offended. <laughs> yeah. I had a professional tell me I was going to be a fucked up adult Yeah. during that time period. <laughs> and like looking back, I can't really disagree. And yeah. it, it certainly had an effect. Mm. Yeah. Like, but, but I feel like I avoided being like, I always managed to, to like avoid, like for some reason people, I could get it. I could manage people's like reaction to me. I think, you know, to where I didn't, they didn't give me hard truths. So when I got sober, it was the first time I was getting like some like real some people telling me about myself. And it was like, and you had nothing to numb oh, the pain. And it hurt to hear. You it know? did. I remember <laughs> I called them, you know, they're truth bombs. You just feel the bomb <laughs> oh. going off of your heart. And you're like, oh, I'm terrible. But this is, but it's so necessary to hear. Absolutely. And yeah. it's necessary. I mean, I still use that frequently and mm -hmm. work and other things like you need to know about yourself and what yeah. you're doing and accept yourself. So yeah, I went to a lot of therapy. I worked uh, the 12-step program pretty thoroughly. I actually, you know, I made amends to some of the police officers that I had uh, resisted. And that was just an incredible experience. Like, they said that they'd never received an apology before from a student they'd arrested. Uh -huh. And just, like, being a person that was, like, a good example instead of a person that needed to be caged up was huge a huge confidence boost to me. Wow. And just like not knowing I wasn't a total piece of shit. So I also was very making, I was very aggressive and very like had it in mind. Like I absolutely needed to make new friends. Like I loved my, my, my friends who were in college, they were great, but I lived on campus. Mm -hmm. I was surrounded by alcohol all the time. A college campus yeah. in New Orleans, and everyone had just turned 21. Yeah, every time I drive by there on the weekends, that like that one street, <laughs> the boot. <laughs> yeah, I'm always like, this is like it just seems insane. Like I've sometimes like they'll have frat parties. Yeah, and you drive by them, and it just seems insane. Like oh, man, I mentioned another name of a business. That's <laughs> all the bars in New Orleans. And anyway, uh, so I was very willing to hang out with anyone that could help me or like wanted to be my friend. I was just, I was completely uh, humbled mm -hmm. by the whole experience. And that was really, really important for me. Yeah. Like starting over. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Starting over, kept really busy. I was working, I was in school, I was going to therapy, I was going to meetings, I was working steps, I was working on myself. I uh, started to work on that ranking thing a lot. So whenever I would walk past somebody and if I thought something negative or caught myself like mentally, like again, just trying to find out like where I was in the world. Like you would go like, oh, well, like would you consciously think like, oh, I'm better than that person. Or I'm like, or I'm in a, I'm a higher status than that. Or I'm lower status or. I don't think it was quite that explicit. It was more like that person is more liked than me. Yeah. I, I don't know. It was messed up. <laughs> this is what happens when you put a kid on a boat for three years. Yeah. Just crazy. like I had to like catch up on social stuff really, really quick and just didn't connect the dots uh, quickly. I was convinced everyone was ahead of me. So I was able to work a lot on that. 
and kind of being an equal among equals. So if I thought something negative about somebody, I would try to replace it right afterwards with like a positive thought, whether it was someone I was angry at or whether I was like, <laughs> like, ew, look at her Yeah. in my head, just like nasty little things that I was so used to thinking and really got to be, a, I, it started to become na- more natural. Yeah. When so I when, would when lie, you thought like somebody was like better than you, would you like think of something negative about them? Um, I think so. I've, I was very competitive. Yeah. I think that might actually be the best way to describe it. Yeah. I'm still competitive. And I think I would evaluate. Yeah. I, I might think something negative. I might not. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really remember. Yeah. But, uh, I was very, I was very insecure. Like that's what all that is, is yeah. insecurity and just like trying day, to find, yeah. yeah. And just like trying to find your place in it. So working the steps and working with, you know, a, th- a therapist really helps me during that time, during that first year. It was, you know, your first year is kind of an emotional roller coaster. I said yes to as much as I could. And I also just started trying to help other people, whether it was my own roommates or somebody I met at a meeting or just like trying to put other people before myself to try to combat all of that, like natural selfishness mm-hmm. that I have. Yeah. So you jumped right into like, so how long did it take you to like work through the, the, uh, the program part portion steps wise? Probably about six months. Yeah. I think, I I mean, I got to 11 before I relapsed and then, so that was like in three or four months and then six months, uh, yeah, blew through them. And by then, so you, so did you go through them again when you came back? Yeah. Yeah. Immediately with the same sponsor and I had the same sponsor for about seven years for mm. six or seven years who was fantastic I owe my life to her yeah well that's interesting so so because I mean for me it's sometimes like I'm always curious how you know like if you're working with somebody and then they go off and then they come back like you did yeah I'm always like and I, and I think probably it's more of like a case-by-case case thing yeah it's like where do you start where do you pick back up you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, do you go from from zero again or do you like say, OK, well, let's get back on amends or, you know, I don't. That's always yeah. like an like. I'm. Yeah. No, I've had a lot of discussions definitely about it. Uh, in the beginning, I was super like, clearly you missed something here mm. at the beginning. Yeah. So we have to start at the beginning again. Yeah. As just I've seen more things. Um, I'll typically like go through the beginning, but it's not. It, I'll kind of customize it to what it seems like that person needs yeah. at the time. It just, it varies. I like to be like more flexible Yeah. with it to yeah, what think, that person actually needs. Yeah. I think that, I mean, that definitely like as you go, as you're, as you stay sober longer and you do yeah. the things longer, you, you become, cause I think in the beginning, like I definitely had to like be very rigid in the way I did it yep. with people because I didn't have much experience in it. So I just had to do it the way I knew. I also just believed if you did not do it this way, like you would drink. Yeah. And like, that's how I was raised. Like, and I, and I mean, raised in the program and just as, you know, I've gotten more confident and more um, at ease with my own sobriety and my own recovery. I've, you know, I've seen people work, work their sobriety many different ways. Some people don't do 12 step programs. They can go to church and be fine. Some people do moderation. I personally know I cannot do that if 
that's not a good candidate for me, <laughs> but, uh, it would probably be a nightmare. But like, if someone's able, not if someone's able to do that, like, you know, do whatever you can in terms of actually working the 12 steps, I've become more flexible in it. Just, I mean, it's still the 12 steps, one through 12 all the time. Yeah. But if someone I'm trying to think of some examples, I think like meditation and prayer are really good examples of mm -hmm. something that can vary very, very widely from person to person. Some yeah. people might need like 30 minutes in the morning of quiet meditation yeah. and at night. <laughs> and then others might, you know, they might actually feel calmest and best when they're just like out for a walk. Yeah. I think, yeah, there's different, there's different like approaches to that. Definitely. Um, I find that if you're not doing it, 30 minutes in the morning. They, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> You're <Yeah>. a goner. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. For, for me, like, that specific part of it, like, has definitely, like, grown. And it's and it's been, like, inconsistent, consistent, inconsistent, consistent. And I think that for me, like, meditation specifically has been, like, lately has been kind of, like, very heavy in my life. That's great. But it's, it, but it's weird because, like, you know, if I'm honest, like, like the uh, personal like the personal inventory <laughs> portion, you know, suffers uh, yeah. a lot. Um, what would so? What would you say to that? How, how does that fit the into your life? Yeah, inventory? like the inventory, like continuing to take personal inventory, like not to yeah. put you on the spot. Yeah. So for the tenth step, which is, you know, continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Definitely better at the second part. Mm -hmm. My husband, I hope my husband doesn't listen to this and disagree. So uh. like, Hell no. <laughs> but I feel like I'm well, definitely better totally at the second like, part. That's a totally different arena. Like you're, yeah, you're, but you're, it's the same. You're allowed more character step. defense. Oh, oh, in that thing. <laughs> so, you know, and I think even in that, in my relationship, I'm pretty good about admitting. Like even like I'll be acting like a brat and that and even in it because like I'm hungry or something and I'll be like I am so sorry I'm acting like this I can't yeah. stop right now but I know I'm totally wrong and it's definitely not you yeah and so doing so many amends just doing this consistently doing therapy doing other work has just really helped me um be able to recognize when I make mistakes and kind of quickly solve it yeah and I think that that in itself is taking personal inventory. It's kind of like, it's in the moment though. It's kind of like a spot check. Yeah. And then definitely with the personal inventory at night, I was very vigilant about doing that in early sobriety. Highly recommend doing that vigilantly in early sobriety or at any point. Mm -hmm. But that's definitely the first one to fall off. Yeah. Like I find that's kind of the one where I'm in pain and I know that, hey, something in my recovery toolkit like needs to look a little bit different that's usually yeah. the one i reach out to that's like when i'm in pain like okay <laughs> and like i'll like be miserable for a week and i'm like what what do i need to do and then be like why don't i just write this down what are you there's something power, there's something about writing it down that's like yeah and it's better than typing yeah for me anyways yeah i mean I, I definitely find writing better you know if i do it like like you can do it on your phone you know and yeah i just the phone in general just needs to like stay out of my recovery not not for you <laughs> Whether, and then there's some people where it's like so important for their recovery because yeah. it's what they're tied to and yeah totally makes it convenient and natural for them to do it like for example so if like if you want to like if like if i'm working with with a, a newcomer or a sponsor or something and they want to like discuss something uh that's nuanced over yeah. text it really bothers me <laughs> 
I'm like, call me, dude. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they like to text. Yeah. And it's okay. I, I just try to meet them where they're they're at. And if it's something that like I need to hear on the phone, like I yeah. know whatever I'm gonna convey can like or I can't I can't uh, yeah I can't I, I decipher have, what on earth they're trying to say. I can't <laughs> decipher what they're saying, but also it's like I know my limitations when it comes to uh trying to transmit what I ha- what I want to say via text. Yeah, and it also depends on the severity of the situation. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So like blow up at work or like a breakup or a death like what's you know what's going on yeah i just find talking is a lot better when it comes to 10 step stuff but that's been a really incredible part of my recovery is working with other people and getting to see you know people recover from this thing which is crazy to me insane yeah it's funny because i you know I've, I've, i've we've you i mean i see you work with a lot of girls and I've worked with a lot of guys too, um, but if if we're honest, or if I'm honest, like the the um, success rate, so if, for lack of a better word, <laughs> success yeah. rate seems to like it, it's generally low. I think, right? I mean, we work with a lot of people, and not that many people stay sober. And that's and that's not yeah. to discredit the like the uh, the effectiveness of the twelve yeah. steps. A lot of times, it's, it's you know, it's people aren't ready for it. Uh, the first time I met my first sponsor, I asked her what her success rate was. <laughs> I was just so laughing funny. when you said that. That sounds like you. It was like, what are your KPIs on this thing? Our KPIs. Like, what, how are we measuring ourselves here? Yeah. And what so, did she tell you? She actually <laughs> told me. She like did the math. And it was pretty good. It wasn't terrible. Oh, wow. Yeah. I just, I think like whether they stay sober has so little to do with me. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. Some people just are ready and dive in. Um, some people aren't. I've also seen people that maybe there's other things that they need to attend to. Maybe they have like a severe mental illness and that's something that needs to be recovered from first before yeah. they can even address their alcoholism. Mm. So I don't know my success rate exactly. But <laughs> you haven't crunched the numbers. I've definitely. Yeah. We'll see. But, uh, you know, it, one of uh, it just. Some of those people, even if I don't sponsor them anymore, are just like some of my best friends in the world. Yeah, and yeah totally. And, but it. I think, yeah, yeah. I think that like for, it's, I don't know where I'm trying to get at with this. <laughs> That's okay. I can do yeah. it. I just find like that, that for me, whenever like I work with guys, I find it that I'm, I'm a lot. Because, you know, we like to say that we're not, um, that what we do there's a lot of like what I do doesn't matter type attitude yeah. when it comes to sponsorship. Like I can't kill them or I can't, but like, obviously like there is the, there is the, like, I have to make sure that I'm fit enough yes. so that I can carry the message. And that also is like, I find that like in my experience, like whenever I am being, um, whenever I am in trying to take control of that specific situation, yeah. it's, 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 it's not as, um, I am not as effective whenever I'm behind the wheel. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when it comes to like being, um, somebody who's trying to carry somebody through the steps, you know what I mean? Like, um, I, I always saw so what I'm, I think what I'm trying to say is, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I have this thing that I think of sometimes, like in the beginning when I got sober and I first started sponsoring guys, I had, I sponsored like two guys and they both 
my first two guys mm -hmm. that I sponsored ended up getting like two years, you know. I had a similar, I mean, the first couple didn't, but I had a similar situation, um, which I think was, I mean, having sponsees and just being, you know, trying to help other people and just get out of my own like sick, twisted, selfish shit was yeah. so important yeah. in the early years. And I mean, it obviously still really, really is. But I didn't have as much going on life-wise. Yeah. Like I was very busy, but it was, you know, I graduated and then was waiting tables after. I had an English degree with a high GPA. I couldn't get a job. Yeah. So I was like waiting tables in the quarter or bartending or doing that. And that really kept, kept me anchored the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I think that that was kind of similar situation that I had. I was just very like invested didn't have a whole lot going on yeah but then i also like sometimes i think that it had more to like for me it had a lot to do with the fact that like i didn't really know a lot except for my own experience yeah so i couldn't like i couldn't really get in the way that much because all i was doing was just okay taking direction and sharing my experience and that maybe like and that's just a theory i have yeah. you know what i mean and then, I, and then there was a while where I was trying to like force the issue. Yeah, With, I, the more you add to it, I mean, it's kind of yeah. like a video game. The more, <laughs> the more you add to it, it's gonna get harder or yeah. juggling. So yeah, those first couple of years, I had a, you know, a dated in sobriety for the first time. That was exciting with another uh, sober person. Experienced my first breakup in sobriety probably about like a year and a half sober. Mm -hmm. And so that was really helpful to see that I could go through something like a breakup and be okay. Yeah. And experience like the feelings that come with breakups and not drink and be supported by all my friends. Mm -hmm. So that was really, really key for me. And then I dated in sobriety. <laughs> and then I got, you know, I got my first like big girl job in sobriety. Wow. I had to bring it to the workplace. And so kind of just grew up in recovery, which yeah. was very interesting. How did you find, um, I, cause I've always found that dating for me has been one of the arenas where like, there's a lot, there's, there's, there's so much more to work on for me. <laughs> there's like, yeah. it's so evident that I've like so much like, when, and that's when, yeah. and, and that specific thing brings out like sometimes the worst in me, but then also on the flip side, I find that I grow so much more from a lot of the experiences Yeah. whenever I'm anchored to like the program and, and you know, it's a very yeah. difficult, I find it extremely difficult, but then I always find it more like I grow spiritually a lot if I'm like, I had to take a break. Like yeah. I took, and it wasn't, I don't think it was deliberate. It was just, you know, I had, I had a breakup and then just took a break from any, anything serious at all. And I think, you know, there was no boy for me to text at night. There was no, like, I just depended like on myself mm -hmm. and my community. And that was, for, that was huge for me to learn how to operate that way because I'd been using other people, especially men, since you know I was a teenager, yeah. to make myself feel better. And so being able to develop that kind of independence was, I think, if I hadn't done that, I don't know if I would have been successful in, you know, in my current relationship, yeah. my marriage. Yeah. It's so funny how like ev everybody's like situation when it comes to like relationships is a little bit different. Nobody's is the same, you know? Yeah. I, for me, I think it was in the beginning I had to like not at all. And it was easy for me not, not at all. And I kind of like, and, and I don't know that if I didn't have that foundation 
that uh of like like you said i think it was so important learning for me. how to just not necessarily not there was so much that i needed to work on before i gave myself to somebody yeah my mom actually she doesn't give a lot of advice she's very like she stays out of my business really well she's a really sweet lady one piece of advice that she did give me is that and it sounds corny and other people have probably said it is just that don't expect another person to make you happy yeah and so becoming dependent on like yourself and your own life for your happiness rather than trying to suck it out of another person was really important for me to learn before I could be in, in the kind of relationship I am now. Yeah. Which is a, you know, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're like, so how long have y'all been married now? So I've been married about a year and a half now, wow. May 2018. Yeah. It's great. I love it. Cool. It's the best. Yeah. yeah, we got married in Costa Rica. It was wonderful. Had a lot of friends, both in and out of recovery, attend. It was just a beautiful day. Yeah, that's in, that's like a dream wedding. Yeah, it was crazy. We actually got upgraded on the day of to like a better venue. Oh wow! Like they called me and they were like so scared to call the bride. Were you like were you a bridezilla? I don't think I was. I mean, I had a destination wedding, which is difficult on people, so that's kind of bridezilla. But I did it for I mean cost was a big thing and just because I like I like vacation yeah and like if no one wants to come that's okay like I'll still be in Costa Rica so it's yeah. all good here amazing and actually a lot of people came more than we expected so yeah they it rained on our wedding day so they upgraded us to a venue called the palace and before we were just gonna like get married under like a little like talapa like a little like Hey, how do you yeah. explain a tilapa? Like, uh, what is it like? A, a, a it's like gazebo? a hut. Uh, yeah, it's like an outdoor gazebo with like dried palm fronds. It's very pretty, but it's yeah. definitely outdoors. May would have been really hot, and so instead we got upgraded to like this crazy palace thing uh-huh. that they had on like the side of a mountain. Oh wow! And just there's been so many things like that in sobriety that just like if you have a good attitude and just try to do the best you can and just let it roll, like a lot of times it works out pretty yeah. well. Well, I mean, they say rain on your wedding day. It was great luck for me. <laughs> <laughs> Worked for me. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Uh, so uh, let's see. Where, where so what, let me ask you something. Um, so, Amen. <laughs> if we were like, um, I mean, because obviously there's people, there's people listening and hopefully, hopefully there's um, somebody listening that's like, needs this right mm-hmm. hopefully I mean, ideally that's the, whole, that's the whole point of this right so let me so what would you say if you had um let's say for example what if you encountered yourself right before you got sober like what would you tell yourself i know i'm throwing your curveball that's interesting on what day like I don't know. Like, the am day I drunk? Right before, am I not the, drunk? The, the, Sorry, I'm asking for a really maybe specific question, Sarah. Just the day you, you decided, like the last day you drank, you know, or the day after. You know, I'd probably say what was told to me, which is that you don't ever have to feel this way again. Mm-hmm. You really don't, and it is a choice in yeah. some ways. I don't know why some people get the willingness or the ability to stay sober, and others don't. Like that absolutely haunts me. But if you can find the willingness, you don't have to. You never have to feel like that again. Yeah. Because it is kind of like, by the time you get sober, you feel like it's inevitable that you're going to feel like that, right? 
you mean like all the time? Yeah, for the rest of your life. Yeah, I, you know, I had my first bottom and that was a horrible feeling. And then within two weeks on my relapse, I had a second bottom. Hmm. And I mean, the first part of the two weeks was great. Saints won the Super Bowl. I had a great time. It was fun. <laughs> like, but just, I cannot, I just had to really admit to myself that I cannot reliably predict what's going to happen if I take a drink, if I take a drug. And I'm just not, I'm, I'm absolutely not willing to hurt the people I love yeah. over it and right. myself. All right. Um, so, yeah, if you're out there listening, um, you don't have to feel that way, however you're feeling. That's so sweet. Yeah. It's like, you know, I think that the first time somebody told me that, it didn't resonate with me, and I just didn't understand. Like, for me. It's like, fuck you, man. I feel great right now. Well, no, it was, uh, it was like, it was, um, it was my first sponsor, and I wasn't ready to get sober, and I wasn't really hearing everything that he was telling me. And yeah. he really wanted me to like understand that I never had, he told me I never had to drink again. Right. So it was basically kind of the same thing. Like you don't have to feel the way you do, which leads me to drinking. <laughs> and yeah. I remember thinking like, I didn't understand that I didn't have a choice, I think, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and I looked at him and I thought that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't. Well, I think another thing, too, that's important and sorry to make this depressing, but there was a lot of questions for me of what about on my wedding day? What about when the worst thing happens? And like I've had the worst thing happen mm. in sobriety, like my father died. Yeah. I've also had the best thing happen, my wedding. Yeah. And I didn't need to take a drink or a drug to experience either, and wow. which is incredible. Yeah. And a lot of that is just because of hard work and just commitment, but I'm not perfect by any means. I don't work a perfect recovery program. I can still be selfish. I can still be an asshole, but you know, I just do the best I can every day and that's why I'm still here. Yeah. All right. That's awesome. Um, I think we could stop there. That sounds good to me. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, well, thank you for I doing appreciate this. It. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm uh, grateful for like, I'm really grateful for people like you that come on and do this. I mean that. You know? People like me, like <laughs> well, people that people? are people that are willing to do this. You know what I mean? Because there's a lot of people who don't feel that comfortable, and not and 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 that's totally okay. Yeah. You know, but uh, I th I I think that you know I like this. Uh, I feel like this is a good avenue. Yeah, to have. I I'd like to, I think I'd like to speak to that too because definitely you know sharing on a podcast isn't for everybody. Yeah. Um, especially if you're like super private and just like, if you're going to yeah. run for president, maybe not unless you just really do want it out there. Yeah. So, but I had this experience the other day where I went to an event and I was telling you about this before and I saw the mayor of Boston and he was speaking to everybody and it was at a corporate event and he, you know, said that he was in recovery and he'd been in recovery since he was in his twenties and it's still the most important thing in his life. Wow. And I was like, I am not the mayor of Boston. Like, I am not that important. Yeah. <laughs> like, if I can just share a little bit and be respectful still of, you know, traditions of the 12-step programs, I, I think it's important. I also think a lot of people might be scared to go to meet other sober people. They might be scared to sign up yeah. for 
who knows what, they might be scared to go to a therapist, they might just be learning it, so if they can just, you know, hear somebody's story and relate a little bit, that might make a difference. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, for me, it was largely an ego thing, and yeah, I'm just not that important. So. Yeah. Well, good. Thank you so much. Uh, um, again, eternally grateful for, for Thank life, you. I'm, for this kind I'm of... I'm grateful book. for this. I've enjoyed it. All right. So I like listening. All right. Bye. <laughs> bye. Bye.